your home of the pens. WXDX-FM, Pittsburgh. Mind system. Forget about structure. Don't worry about defense. Bill Kessel is about none of those things, but he won the game last night for the Penguins. Him and Casey DeSmith. Bill Kessel will set you free. Bill Kessel was flying, and so were the hats. The pens were far from perfect defensively. But the Smith played well in goal, and opportunism won the day. Uh, some great passing. Hagelin and Gino put Kessel away on breakaways. Sid von Gensel coming late. Gino won a draw to Phil. The thoughts were uh, 37-22 in favor of Vegas. Pittsburgh was badly outshot, but the Smith made 15 saves in the first period. And that settled things down on the Pittsburgh side of the street. Here's something weird. When Gensel made it 4-1, the crowd started chanting for Flurry, who was on the bench. Subban was in goal for Las Vegas, and the crowd chanting for Flurry, the ex-Penguin netminder. I've never heard home fans cheer for the visitors' backup goaltender. That's a decent win. Not without warts, but a decent win. Uh, Vegas got a lot of good looks in the first period. 16 shots. And the Penguins were a disaster with turnovers, uh, especially at both blue lines. 12 turnovers overall in the night. Uh, Ricola was okay. He played 18 minutes, even on the plus-minus. Four hits. Jack Johnson had eight hits. That says he's coming into his own. But another stat I'll quote in a bit says he played rotten last night. But boy, is Phil Kessel a pure finisher, especially on a good night like last night. Those three goals were just works of art. Smooth as silk, absolute rifle shots. Uh, Kessel spoke with the media after, very grudgingly. He's probably the first guy to get a hat trick and still want to avoid the media. So that was a good win. And then we got Lev Bell, who's kind of supposed to show up Monday, or maybe not. And of course, we got the bloodbath in Cincinnati Sunday. It's like the Steelers are playing the Hells Angels at Altamont. All the X's and O's guys are saying, ah, this is an important game, too much on the line. These guys are just going to play football. Well, I hope not. There's way too much fun to be had uh, with a bloodbath. I figure Hayden covers green and does okay. But Tyler Boyd, uh, he might light up Sensible or whoever. It wouldn't surprise me if the Bengals lean on Joe Mixon a bit more. The running back. And that would mean the Steelers linebackers 
are going to have to play well like they did against Atlanta. Mixon only has 69 touches on the season. Uh, Compare that to Connor for the Steelers, who already has 106. Uh, Ben's going to outplay Dalton, although Dalton has a higher quarterback rating right now. But Ben is the king of Ohio, of the people, and for the people. Uh, I got to pick Pittsburgh plus two and a half. I am 4-1 and one against the spread with Steeler games this season. I got the Steelers in the points. Two and a half is roughly the home field advantage spread. But Pittsburgh is 17-3 and three at that stadium. Uh, the Bengals this year, they're 4-1. and one, And I can't take away from that. But they've mostly won close games against mediocre teams. And a win is a win is a win. But Cincinnati usually loses this game. Uh, blew a 17-0 lead last year in this game. Then you got that playoff debacle in January of 2016. That was at Cincinnati. I won't believe the Bengals are for real until they win a game like this, and they haven't, not yet. Uh, as I mentioned, I figure Hayden controls A.J. Green. I am worried about Tyler Boyd, but Eifert's hurt. They don't use Mixon as much as I would, so their weaponry, their versatility, their multidimensionalism on offense is not great. Uh, Burfick will do something stupid, and it'll hurt uh, either the Bengals or Juju Smith-Schuster, and quite possibly hurt both. So I got the Steelers plus two and a half. And I bet the Steelers win outright. Like I said, 4-1 and one on the year against the spread, and I say take the Steelers and the points. Think about that again for a second. Pittsburgh is 17-3 and three at Cincinnati Stadium, and Ben Roethlisberger is the all-time winningest quarterback at Cleveland Stadium. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is indeed the king of Ohio. Uh, today in the Penn's locker room, Juju was giving the media a hard time because he's a phony. You just don't see him when he betrays that. And he said derisively to the media, I knew all you guys were going to try to start something uh, regarding the possible revenge sought by Vontez Perfect this Sunday for the hit Juju put on Perfect in the corresponding fixture last year. Uh, All you guys are going to try to start something. Dude, you concussed Burfecht with an illegal hit last year and got suspended. Now you're playing him again. The media isn't starting something, Junior. You already did. I'm telling you, this guy, he can ride his bike all he wants. He can dance for the camera all he wants. One of the biggest phonies in that locker room which is really saying something. So let's talk about the Penguins Uh, in about Sunday's football Stalingrad. And later on, Tim Benz is going to join me. A lot to talk about. Uh, There's a story in USA Today rating the best football movies of all time. And the number one movie is a crime against cinema. Uh, Tim's going to talk about that with me at... A 405 or so, that should be fun. And let's talk about Lev Bell. 
Like I said, he is supposed to report Monday. I guess he said, but he didn't say that to the Steelers. Bob Labriola wrote a really good piece about the possible return of Le'Veon, and it's on the Steelers' website, so the team doesn't disapprove of the piece. Lab said the Steelers should ask the team's leaders how they feel and how the locker room feels about Bell coming back. Whether it would be a poisoned atmosphere. What about the team's emotional commitment to James Conner? And, of course, you talk to Bell. Is he committed or does he want minimal touches? How does he feel about what the linemen said uh, before week one when Bell didn't show as expected? And then, of course, how does Mike Tomlin feel? And what about the roster exemption factor? This is all in lab story at Steelers.com. Because if the Steelers opt to use that two-week roster exemption with Bell, they have to agree with Bell on compensation for that period. And if they can't, Bell can't sign his tender. And it's accurate to say the Steelers and Bell have not had much luck negotiating to this point. The Steelers will probably not want to pay Bell at all during the roster exemption period. Nor should they. So there are lots of factors, good piece by Labs, although I think none of Labs' advice will be followed and Tomlin will just decide and Bell comes back. I will say this. If the Steelers pay Bell his full ticket during his roster exemption, they are absolute fools. And, of course, when you listen to fools, the mob rules. Uh, Quick note by Ed Bouchette about the uh, Lev Bell situation. Bouchette points out if Lev Bell plans to report to the Steelers Monday, he'd be smarter to do so this Friday as in today. He would not practice this week, and next week is the bye. It would force the Steelers' hands one week early on the roster exemption decision without Bell having to do any more work. It also would yield one extra payday for him at 855 k You know, that makes a lot of sense. And since Lev did not report today, it really makes me wonder if he's going to report at all. 412. 412- Three 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 ninety nine thirty nine. This is the Mark Madden Show. Um, just around the corner, we'll have some cold hard facts regarding Le'Veon Bell situation. Uh, I got some Penguins news from practice today. Uh, it looks like Alexiak may be odd man out for the game at Montreal tomorrow night, and that Madup may be back in the lineup. And of course, at the bottom of the hour, we got all time Steeler great Craig Wolfley. Talk about uh, the Steelers' visit to Cincinnati on Sunday. Maybe Wolf can help out. I can't narrow down the best comparison for this game at Cincinnati, whether it's Altamont, Stalingrad, or Omaha Beach. I am such a historian. 105.9 X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. No one wants to hear your life story. What do you want to say on my radio show? Hey, yo, Mike. Mark, how you doing? Call me Mike. VX at 105.9. It is time for Coors Light Cold Hard Facts, brought to you by Coors Light. And I could really go for one now. Here's some cold hard facts 
about the Lev Bell debate. Number one, it's not a debate. Bell either shows up or doesn't. If he does, he plays and becomes the workhorse as soon as he's fit, which may take a while. Two, there's no way to get Bell and Connor both in the lineup. No way. I've heard people suggest Bell move to the slot. That would be a waste. You'd be moving the superior player. Number three, in that regard, Bell is by far the superior player, one of the best running backs in the league. You can't compare him and Connor at all. It's not even close. Why would you make Bell into Eli Rogers? Number four, fair doesn't matter in big-time sports. When Bell is back in the swing even a little bit, Connor hits the bench, period. Fair got nothing to do with it. And five, I still wouldn't want Bell back, despite everything I just said. That's not a cold, hard fact, but it's a very educated, cold, hard opinion. Uh, Don't forget this all starts going down Monday or Tuesday whenever. It's the bye week. Like Ed Bouchette said, he really should have showed up today in order to force the Steelers' hand on certain issues. Lev Bell said he's going to show up to ESPN but he still hasn't told the Steelers. Maybe he'll show up next week at ESPN and get Linda Cohn's coffee or carry bags for John Bouchergross, something like that. But uh, what if Bell would show up and flunk the physical? That would ignite an excrement storm. If he shows up, flunks the physical, and as a result does not sign the tender. Uh Coors Light Cold Hard Facts brought to you by Coors Light. Stop in Caliente Pizza and Draft House in Aspenwalt, Bloomfield, Hampton, or Mount Lebanon and get Coors Light drafts for only $3.50 during all Penguins games. Here's the Steelers' status report for Sunday. Darius Hayward Bay and Morgan Burnett are out. LJ Fort is doubtful. And uh, none of the three practiced this week. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Morgan Burnett really does look like a bust. It's like Ladarius Green switched to safety and changed his name to Morgan Burnett. Uh, We know he's a good player, but the biggest ability you can have is availability. Uh, I got a couple of Penguins notes uh, from last night's game and carrying into practice today. Uh, early in the game last night, Brian Rust and Patrick Hornquist flip-flopped. Horty went to the third line with Broussard. Rusty moved to the first line with Sid. And, gee, that didn't take long. Not even three games. Sid and Hornquist don't mix five-on-five. Five. At least that's the perception in certain circles. Uh, at practice today, Jamie Alexiak dropped to the fourth pair. Oli Mata paired with Juso Ricola on the a third pair, which is a bit odd because those are both left-sided defensemen, but uh, perhaps the Finns will get a chance to play together at Montreal tomorrow night. Uh, Matthew Murray practiced today. That's good news. Uh, it seems like a very mild concussion sustained by uh, Matt Murray. 
Interesting stat for the defense tandem of Schultz and Jack Johnson last night. As I mentioned, Jack Johnson had eight hits. It's a lot of hits. But that defensive tandem last night was on the ice for six shot attempts for and 25 shot attempts against. Uh, Not good. Uh, The Penguins played a cleaner last night in terms of puck management than they did against Montreal in that 5-1 loss Saturday, but they still got a long way to go. They made some horrible turnovers. 12 total last night, but some really bad ones. They made turnovers at terrible spots on the ice, like at the offensive blue line. Sometimes you got to settle for getting it in deep, but the Penguins uh, aren't real predisposed to do that. They like to come across the blue line and make a lateral pass right parallel to the blue line, and if it gets picked off, all your guys are going one way and all their guys are going the other. The big problem is they've got the puck. Uh, What a pristine finisher Phil Kessel was last night, so pure and clean. Uh, The back of the net just balloons. And Phil hates the media, just like I do. Vegas drops to one and four. I am glad to see Vegas drop to one and four. I like Marc-Andre Fleury. I like Engo. But that town out there in the desert thinks an invented hockey. F them and F their Twitter. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. OAB uh, talked today about uh, the lawsuits. Uh, He said it comes with being successful. Well, not necessarily, not if you don't throw furniture off a balcony at a toddler. We don't know A.B. did that. We do know he's successful, although not as successful this year so far as in past seasons. Up next, we're going to talk about Stiller football. They're at the Bengals Sunday with all-time great Craig Wolfley here on 105.9. Listen up. It's WWE Hall of Famer Jim Ross, and this show's going to be a slobber knocker because Mark Madden is whipping you callers like a government mule on 105.9 The X. I think it is a slobber knocker so far, JR. Joining me now in studio, all-time Steeler great. You can hear him on DVE from the sideline during Steeler games. And I think Sunday he'll kind of be standing in a demilitarized zone in Cincinnati. It's it's Craig Wolfley. Uh, Wolf, basic question. Are the Bengals out of control? Does Burfick go too far? Well, you know, that depends on what side of the uh, stadium you're standing on, I would guess. He's certainly one of those guys who's capable of great play and, uh, let's say, great mistakes in his play. Uh, you watch some of the things he's done over the years, whether he's walking through the stretching area of the Steelers, whether he was doing a flyby with uh, Pac-Man as his sidekick, and basically running like a kickoff before kickoff down the Steelers' sidelines in a more or less taunting fashion. Um, I, I think about this guy, and I think about the very first time after that first game when he was uh, walking around after the game was over, and it's kind of like he's trying to shake hands with people, and everybody was just blowing by him, as if his play was not representative of who he was. It was like, this is what happens when it's snapped to whistle before between the you know the kickoff and the final gun. And uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what to make about him, about him, but I do know this. He's a good football player, a very good oh, football player. Oh, very good. Now, now, Pac-Man Joe's isn't there anymore. 
Right. Well, I think Perfect is the more dangerous player. Uh, Pac-Man was kind of a catalyst in some of the shenanigans, wasn't he? There's no question. I think when you get two Coco Locos that are out there going <laughs> at it, they kind of instigate each other, and they kind of up the hype between them. And certainly I think that Pac-Man was one of those guys who – did not have uh, didn't keep his emotions under control very well, and when you got a guy like Vontez who's very volatile, that's simply kind of stirring the pot, so to speak. And indeed, uh, you know, it would bear me out when you think about the it, the circumstances that have occurred on that field, whether it was Pac-Man throwing a punch or Vontez doing what he was doing at the time. It, you know, so uh, look at this. I think that the game's going to start off in a more responsible, solid fashion. We will see where it goes because it's going to be based on what 55 does. Well, don't you think your Burfick's going to get try to get even with Juju after that crackback last year? I would think that he's got his eyes peeled out for uh, Juju. I would think that he's going to be looking for him and looking for that opportunity to kind of more or less even the score. I would imagine that Juju's going to be well aware. We used to back in the day, you know, when we had somebody like that, you would have a guy that we used to refer to, Cedric Maxwell from uh, Detroit. Uh, we used to refer to him as Norman Bates. You know, <laughs> he, he was a little bit out there, you know, and you always knew pre-snap basically where he was. You know, and you've got to know and keep your head on a swivel, and that's going to be one of the large things. But one of the better things you got to do is keep your emotions under control, stay focused, and make sure that you are not uh, – you, you don't do anything that you can't absolutely be 100% you, sure that you can get away with. <laughs> now, now, you played in the 80s, which was a very physical and yes. dirty era – were there a lot of guys like Perfect uh, back then? How much would he have stood out in your era I think as a dirty player? I think he would have fit in quite well. I mean, him and Conrad Dobler could have had a race Ugh. as far as you know who could have been uh, oh, the guy that... I'd take Tez in that one. Tez is a lot more mobile. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but it was amazing what Conrad could do in a limited space. <laughs> he was one of those guys. He could commit 37 different fouls within a phone booth. So that that kind of guy, um, you always kept your head on a swivel for. Again, you know you've got to you've got to take Vontez out of it. One of the ways you do it is what they did last year. And if you remember Rosie Nix and Vontez Burfitt going at it, I'm telling you that was like watching a heavyweight fight. I loved it. I'm going to be sitting on the sidelines watching that because I think it's going to be round two. Now, in the win over Atlanta, Joe Hayden uh, really did a number on on Julio Jones man to man. What's that do for a defense when one guy more or less eliminates the other team's best weapon? That that gives the other 10 guys a, a little more room both on the field and in their heads, I'm thinking. There's no question about it. And when you have Julio, who's basically disappeared for three quarters, nine targets, only five receptions, 62 yards, which was basically cleanup time at the end, that's a tremendous effort. I don't think we fully understand because we've seen – uh, you know, the, the secondary have a rough go to have such outstanding work done by an outstanding player as Joe Hayden. And he really contributed and set the tone, and which also meant that the defense was getting after him. And a guy like T.J. Watt, who's got a great matchup this week, and I think all the guys across the board have an excellent opportunity to get after it because the only guy returning on that Cincinnati offensive line is Clint Bowling, the left guard. And frankly, I think if you get – Cam Hayward on him, or you get uh, Steph to it, it could be bowling for Dalton instead oh, of dollars oh, oh. there. You know, I'm I, sorry, I had to go there. I, no, that's good stuff. I can't, I'll be honest, I, I, four and one is four and one, but in light of what's happened with their O line, and they've won a lot of close games against mediocre teams, 
I don't know if I see them as a four and one level team. I mean, everybody is what their record says, but but you know what I mean. There's no question because if you go statistically where they are, whether it's run defense, pass defense, uh, running the ball, what have you, passing the ball, it's not like they're tearing the cover off of any one category. But the final point total, and that's the most important thing, as the great Dick LeBeau used to say, the only statistic that mattered was points scored against. When, when he was talking about his defense. And, of course, the 4-1 and one is what speaks for you. They're a 4-1 and one team. Make no bones about it. How they got there is interesting. It's not quite uh, – it's not what you might think of a 4-1 and one team, but certainly some of the great efforts in their comeback against Atlanta and so forth, um, they've done a great job. Now, can Hayden handle A.J. Green man-to-man, and do you think that's what the Steelers will do? I don't know what the Steelers are going to do, but I would if I if I had to make a call, I'd say okay. You feeling your oats, Joe? You look great with Julio. I would say I, yeah. I'd start out that way. There's no question. Now the the problem would be where you're going to go if you put uh, AJ in the slot, because then it would be Mike Hilton. You don't want Mike Hilton on the outside. Basically, there's a lot of reach, a lot of height issues there. Well, Tyler Boyd's really good too. Tyler Boyd is just, you know, I remember this kid back in high school watching him. McLaren, he was unbelievable. Games. He was, and he was like a man among boys. Uh, he is playing at a, at a huge level, and the thing about it is, he's really come to understand the significance of the possession downs and being aggressive, going to the ball, catching the ball, tucking the ball, all those things that a good wide receiver's got to do. Well, he's doing them now. And he's doing them in, in context with another great guy like A.J. Green. So you've got really a nice simpatico going between the two of them, which makes for very tough uh, stuff when you're trying to cover him. I like Joe Mixon. I think he's versatile. I, I think he's kind of like Lev Bell light. But he's only touched the ball 69 times, despite you know gaining four and a half yards per carry. I, I wonder why that is. He's a cutback guy. Um, I don't know exactly why his his carries have been down. That's but a, that's a bit low, right? Yeah, I, I would say you know because he's a guy that you think he'd feed. They'd feed. You know, this is a guy that you got on the backside. You've got to be able to make sure you don't turn and run defensively on the uh, defensive line because you become a one directional player. And at that point, Joe Mixon has got you. You've got to stay parallel. You've got to keep your shoulders parallel, lock out, make sure that you have the proper lean-to on that offensive lineman, and then be able to come off and not go one gap too many because he'll, he'll take you. The guy that I'm kind of glad's not there is Giovanni Bernard. And the guy that the reason I'm glad about, Tyler Eifert's not there. Well, too. yeah, okay. You know, I mean, <laughs> I hate for Tyler to have have been hurt the way that he was. Nobody wants to see anybody hurt right. like that. Of course, but you got a, ta- a tale of two Tylers. The two top tight ends have both gone down, uh, Eifert and Croft. And so now you've got C.J. Uzoma and uh, some other guys. And, and the number two personnel grouping that they use is ace with two or more tight ends. So I'm, gonna, I'm interested to see how much that will be as far as that because of the fact that they're down to their third, fourth uh, string tight ends. Who are their playmakers on D-Wolf? Because it's a weird defense. As you alluded to a moment ago, it allows a lot of yards but not very many points. The guys are, it starts with Geno Atkins. Geno Atkins is yeah. the best three technique outside of Aaron Donald. You know, I mean, Aaron Donald is, is in a class yeah, he, seemingly it, by Geno himself. Atkins is almost like, like I always call Aaron Donald a new day Joe Green. Yes. Geno Atkins ain't far from that. You're very correct in that. You watch this guy and, and you see defensively, okay, on the backside, you got to cut him off. So you got a seal block between the center or the guard tackle. And one of the things that happens is, Gino uh, creates so much disturbance on the backside, and the offensive guard chips him, and Gino will, can accelerate so fast. As soon as that guard leaves for the second-level linebacker, 
and he's combo blocking with the tackle. Gino will make the play. Cutting him off from the backside is extremely hard, and if you get him cut off, that leaves the, the linebacker to run. But I would rather leave the linebacker one-on-one with the back and secure Gino because Gino is just that good. He is a guy who, you know, he had an ACL injury a couple of years ago, and his coming back each year looks stronger and stronger. He now looks like the pre-ACL Geno Atkins. He is really, uh, you take a double team, double team, he'll turn, get sideways, will get low, and has great leverage and creates that 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 clog up. It's like you ate a cheese ball. Oh, I mean, no, he'll, and he'll, he'll use you as a weapon, too. He'll drive yes. you into somebody else. There's no question about it. He can body toss with the best of them. He's got a great low center. He's got great power. And uh, this guy one on one is really tough to handle. So you've got to anytime they run a lot of overs. So that means you got a bubble say on the left side, and Gino's on the right side over the, the, the Castro, and you got Andrew Billings at nose tackle, who's he's a man mountain himself. You got to run away from that three technique, and I would start off very much so. In my in my most humble thoughts, uh, I would want to come at him and and punch at him a little bit with with uh, uh, James Connor. And then I want to angle block. I want to run the counter trap. I want to do some things after I get them aware I'm coming straight at them. A couple tweeters noting Joe Mixon was hurt for a couple weeks, but even if you divide his touches by the games he did play, they're still kind of low. We're talking to Craig Wolfley here on 105.9 The X. Uh, the offensive line played better for the Steelers against Atlanta. I thought I thought the, the guys in the trenches looked pretty good. What prompted that? You're talking about uh, the Steelers' offensive yes, line? Yes, yes. Well, I think they, they're just coming about and playing at a higher level. You know, of course, we had the situation where you had both um, Gilly and you had Dave DeCastro out. You got those guys back. When you have it back, you've got one, two, three, should be four pro bowlers basically on that offensive line. Along I, I think running the ball helped them too. I think oh, being no healthy, question. like you said, but that run, that commitment to the run, lets the offensive line get into a rhythm. It does. You're right on that. And what you want to do is because it allows I'm you to be I'm telling you what it feels like. There's no question. I know where you're going with it. And look, and that's the big thing about it. You want to run the ball. When you're an offensive lineman, you want to run the ball because you can attack those guys. When you pass, it's a retreating, combative type thing, and it's it's not conducive to rolling off that front foot and getting after those guys. And what you want to do is put them on their heels a little bit and put them on the turf a lot and go after them. And that you can only do when you run the ball. And so, again, I like the idea of in, some inside blocking schemes where you go, man, you, you try to take that down guy, move him back a little bit, throw him in the lap of a linebacker, and then the next time you come up and you start the counter trap series and working things of that nature where you have an angle blocking, guys. Now, the Steelers linebackers also played better. And, Wolf, that is absolutely necessary in a 3-4, isn't it? There's no question about it. And you had a nice job. Tyler Matakevich did well in uh, the base Oki, and you had LJ Fort doing well in sub-package football. And now he's hurt. Well, that I know. sucks. That really does. And what's uh, so unfortunate for LJ, it seems like whenever he gets a little momentum going, has an opportunity to contribute, uh, he's had one of those issues where it's, it's not worked out for him, and I, I wish him a very speedy recovery because he really showed some good stuff in that last game, and I really appreciated some of his de- delayed blitzing. You watch in Atlanta, I mean, that blitz that he had, man, he hung there until that guard blocked down onto uh, with the with the center, and then he just buzzed by with that speed he's got and closed on Matt Ryan. That was a nice job. Uh, L.J. Fort really contributed highly. Uh, the Steelers are 17-3 at the Bengals Stadium. That defies logic, Wolf, and that's got to be a big mental edge for the Steelers. 
Not that they sit around and think about that, but I'm sure they go out there and feel very comfortable. Well, there's no question. Comfort is one of the things you love when you go into an opposing stadium, and you've got to feel that way based off of the fact you've emerged out of there 17 out of 20 times as the victor. Having said that, you got a 4-1 and Bengals team who's sitting there and they're going, you know, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. We changed a lot of personnel. They changed a lot of coaching staff. You know what? It ain't the same. So, And they're thinking it's about time we win this game. Yes, yes, that's exactly so. So you know what that means. you got to go in and you got to start fast. I know it's cliche. I know everyone wants to, you know, uh, find something new, but you know what? New is 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 what you're doing right now. And they, the way they started last week, start fast, and then you've got to be ready to go in the fourth quarter with these guys. Well, like in that game with Atlanta last week, it felt like the loser would be out of the playoff race. And I'm not sure that's the case with this game, but I do think it's important because if the Steelers win, they're within a half game at the top of the division, and it's almost like the bad start wasn't that bad. If the Bengals win, they finally get over the hump in a game against a rival that they don't normally win. So I think this game will mean a lot moving forward. There's no question about it. Look, there's a lot of guys waiting in Cincinnati with bold necks and balled up fists. They want to have a go. They think they can have a go this time around. They got a lot of confidence off of coming back and, and overcoming uh, big deficits like uh, you know with, with uh, Atlanta. You know the, What they did coming back there, it was a great job. So you've got a lot of confidence because success begets success, and these guys are feeling good about themselves. You've got to come out and go. Now the one issue, the one thing that I'm worried about, I'm worried about seven. You know, you're worried a little bit about that elbow, and that, that does bother me. And I Especially will say now this. that he's kind of talking about it. Well, exactly. And again, he likes to talk about it. <laughs> The fact is, you know, it's starting to feel almost a little Brad Shawin, uh when I say that. Wow. Oh, yeah, and it's going that way back. That should be in the dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I will say is this. The mandate before his last game was this. No way, no how, and then under no circumstances do you let him get hit. And that's got to be the mandate. Just like it was against Atlanta. Don't let him get hit. No sacks. That's right. You've I don't think he got hit, clean. did he? I don't remember him getting hit. There were only a couple pressures statistically, so that that's a good day for the O-line. You know what else is funny, though? I think we underestimate the Bengals because of the uh, terrible history they have against the Steelers. But I, I was looking, you know, on online, you know, the Bengals record year by year. Right. They won the division in thirteen and fifteen. I didn't remember that. <laughs> now fifteen, I get because that was the year that they totally blew the playoff game against the Steelers. That's right. why you'd forget anything good they did. But it actually hasn't been a bad football team for the best part of a decade. There's no question that Marvin Lewis has done a great job of resurrecting that franchise and dragging it forward into the 20th, 21st Wolf, century. Wolf, if he just, just get a little more discipline in there, imagine. No, seriously, like I, I think Marvin's a good football coach, but he, if he could just get the guys in line a little more, not even a lot more. Well, think about it. That's part and, part and parcel of why the coaching staff changed over. Yes. I think it's a new attitude, and I think that they've tried to really dig down deep and go after some higher quality guys, higher character guys, and uh, field what you got. And these guys are playing well. You, you cannot look at that film and say, these guys don't deserve to win. They play hard. They battle hard. It's going to be a very interesting game. That is Craig Wolfley. I'm Mark Madden. In just a moment, we're going to talk about that uh, situation between Connellsville and Penn Hills High School in the Whippeal. I'm Mark Madden, 105.90X. Super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark, I'm super excited to be calling you right now. He's brittle. He's a mind. He's not an arm. He's a brain. He's not a body. The X at 105.9.
Thanks to Craig Wolfley. That's always such good radio and such good football talk. Uh, I got some heat yesterday because I criticized Connellsville High School for sending armed guards to Penn Hills High School with their team for a boys' high school soccer game. Uh, that's because the Whippeal censured Connellsville because of uh, alleged racial slurs by fans and players uh, directed toward Penn Hills players when the teams played at Connellsville earlier this season. Uh, we're not racist. We were wrongly accused. Okay, let's assume you're not racist. And let's assume you were wrongly accused. Let's assume that. Tell me why, then, you thought it was a good idea to bring guys with guns to a high school sports event. I'll hang up and listen. Uh, no quarter brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at cwelectricalservices.com. Uh, uh, we have a new development in the AB lawsuits in Florida. If AB loses the case after AB's lawyer said the plaintiff is exploiting his kid, you know, the 22-month-old who almost got brained by furniture, if AB wins the case, the plaintiff has to raise AB's oldest kid, the one the baby mama says AB mostly ignores. Uh, AB said these lawsuits come with being successful. I don't get how AB being successful made furniture that belongs to him fly off a balcony that belongs to him attached to an apartment that belongs to him. The circumstantial evidence is pretty strong with this one. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne canceled his concert in Vegas, so I canceled my trip to Vegas. I've had some rough luck getting to concerts lately. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to talk uh, about the top football movies of all time with Tim Benz. I'm going to deliver a monologue on the topic and uh, then bring Tim in. But uh, wait till you hear the movie that is number one, according to USA Today, the number one football movie of all time. It is a movie I hate with such a passion that... Well, let's not let it boil over just let. Let's 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 get to the anger just around the corner. 30 seconds away 1059.